A copy of God's Word, if you look at Philippians chapter 3, this is our last sermon off course. We'll move back to John chapter 14 next Sunday. Uh, we closed out the year with a sermon last week, and this will give us something to begin the year with out of Philippians. If you think I've preached this before, you're right. I think I've probably preached it several times, but I need to hear it again, so maybe you do as well. Philippians 3, uh, verses 12 through 16. As you find your place there, let me give you a couple of thoughts of introduction, and then we will look at the text together. Uh, But in the heart of this sermon is the pressing on to know Christ. Uh, That is the ultimate goal, to know Christ, to apprehend Christ, to finally be in perfect unity with Christ. So we press on to know Him. The thing about religion and people in churches is, is we, we become lazy and indifferent and we get to the point of stagnation and just kind of go through the motions because deep down in our hearts we know it's right to go to church. Uh, we get asked a question about Jesus and we pretend like we already know everything about Jesus and so I already know Him, I already believe in Him, I've got all that stuff, all that stuff and so we can move on to bigger things. Well, just an introduction, let me remind you that there is far more of Christ than you have first thought of. For example, here's two volumes that I'm reading through right now by Anthony Burgess, one of the great Puritan divines in the 1600s. So here before you on this pulpit is 1,128 pages of writing on one chapter in the Bible. John chapter 17, Anthony Burgess preached 145 sermons on that chapter. I only tell you that to say there's much more to Christ than you first imagined. There's this much to be found. I've been in gospel ministry since I was a teenager, and in reading just a few sermons, I wrote to a friend of mine and said, I don't even know if I'm saved. (laughs) I, I, I found stuff in here. I'm like, I never heard this stuff in my whole life. There's Christ is, he's a well that you just can't ever get to the bottom of. There's more to him than you first imagined. Don't, if you think you've arrived, you, you're just not looking in the right spot. You can, you can study Christ for all of eternity and never find the end of him. What a value. What a treasure. <laughs> Anthony Burgess says, he says, if all truth is gold, John 17 is the pearl in the gold. Just good stuff here in Christ. But I want to challenge you once again, year 2022, to press on, to press on. The thought will be to forget what was behind 2021 or all the past of your life. Scratch it off. You can't do nothing about that. Let's press on. Today's a new day. Got new mercies every morning, but also new challenges. Now, for the Apostle Paul... He does not believe that he has attained. He's not got everything he wants out of this deal called Christianity. He doesn't believe he's been perfected yet. and hasn't got it all together in this perfect harmony with Christ yet. So what does he do? He resolutely presses on. Daily. He's pressing on. He's not grown lazy or stagnant. He presses on. By using his brain. God gave you a brain. It's good to use it. 
God gave you physical capabilities, but the mind is a terrible thing to waste. Paul uses his mind in order to press on. He understands that in the past, the Lord Jesus Christ grabbed hold of him. He's walking down the Damascus Road, and Jesus took hold of him. And as a result of Jesus grabbing hold of him, he spends the rest of his life trying to grab hold of Christ. The terminology is clear. It's not too hard, Greek or English either way. It's, it's the terminology of a runner. It's obvious the prize, the wreath, all of these things are in this passage. And like an avid runner, Paul forgets the miles that are behind and he presses on for the miles before. Now, I've never run a marathon in my life and I doubt very seriously if I ever will. That's not the point, but I do know something about running. And if you are running a marathon and your watch beeps every mile, it beeps, it maybe vibrates at the same time. A lot of those do that. It beeps, it vibrates, and you look and it says 20. You don't say, wow, man, I did good today. I ran 20 miles. And you stop and take a break and wait for something. When that thing beeps and says 20, the first thing that flashes in the runner's mind is what? 6.2 to go. 6.2. The finish line. That's the way the runner thinks. This is Paul. It's not like, oh, I preached 10 sermons, so I've done pretty good. No, I've got this much time left. The prize is right before me. I must continue to press on. Paul knows that God called him to salvation. He knows that glorification is before him. Thus, he presses, he runs, he strains, he puts all his effort into finishing the course. Now, I can say these things about Paul because they're true. The challenge is, is will they be true for me? Will they be true for you? Have you reached a point of contentment and stagnation, or do you desire him more? All right, if you're looking at your copy of God's Word, my translation will read differently, so you might note a couple of different word orders and changes, but follow along in your text uh, as we read Philippians 3, 12 through 16. I have worded it this way, not that I have already made him my own, or already perfected unity with him, but I press on, if also I may attain, for which I also was attained by Jesus Christ. Brothers, I myself do not consider to have attained, but one thing, forgetting which indeed is past, and stretching forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are perfect, therefore as many as are mature, perfect, let us think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, listen carefully, if in any way you think otherwise than the way Paul thinks, God will reveal your error. It's missed in translations here. It, it, it says God will reveal this. What's the this? 
God will reveal your error. Paul's saying, if you don't think like me, you're wrong. Awful audacious, isn't it? But he is an apostle under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. This is the way you think. Press on. Press harder. Obtain the prize. Go all in for Christ. You don't think this way? God will show you your error. But on the other hand, what we have attained, what you know today, what we've attained, what you know today of Christ, the truth, then live by it. Live by the truth you have right now with this goal, pressing stretching, yearning to know him all the more. Now, just a short note, and we'll jump right in the text. Positionally, experientially. Positionally, a person who repents of their sin and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're right with Christ. They're in relationship. You could say they're a saint. They're redeemed. They're adopted into the family of God. Positionally, we are right with Christ if we've come to biblical salvation. Paul knows that about himself. You'll see that in the book of Galatians as we work through it this year. But experientially, I'm not to where I could be in my relationship. I have sin in my life. I have shortcomings in my life. I err. I go off course. There's some things that need work in Randall's life. There's improvements to be had, right? That's the pressing on part. Paul realizes that he hasn't reached this perfect experiential unity where he's walking with Christ like Adam did before the fall. Now, I'm not there yet, but notice, just because I'm not there doesn't mean I quit. Okay, I'm not there, so I'll press all the more. That's Paul's mentality, and it ought to be the mentality of all Christianity. Now, let's move through these passages. Let's hopefully gain that the Spirit of God would write these upon your heart. Verse 12, press on. That is the message that is before us. A couple of questions we ask as we enter this text. What has he not already attained? I've not already attained. I've not already apprehended. What is it that he has not attained? I've not attained Christ face to face. I've not got to that point where we're in perfect unity without sin. I'm not there yet, Paul is saying. Second question. What has he not already perfected? He's not perfected his standing with Christ. He's still working through this thing that we call sanctification. What is he trying to grasp? I haven't got it. I haven't attained it. I I haven't apprehended it yet. What is it? It's simple. This, This sermon ought to be easy and jot down. It's really clear. He hasn't apprehended Christ this is, this is the sole object of his affection. I want to have Christ. That's the whole goal. There's enough loveliness. There's enough preciousness. There's enough beauty. There's enough awesomeness in this one person to attract the entirety of my life. That all of my passions would run towards this object. This is what Paul is telling us. What does it mean that he was grasped? Christ called his name. Christ, if you want to use biblical terminology, he's been elected by the sovereignty of God. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He calls him out by name and elects him unto himself. 
He's been apprehended. Because I've been apprehended, it does not make me lazy. It does not make me an antinomian. It makes me have a passionate desire for him. Not that I have already attained there in verse 12. I've not made it my own. I've not won the prize. I've not attained it. For Paul, the conver- his conversion was the starting line. Look, I grew up in the church. There was this nonsense of you, you get saved, you get baptized, and then you just go live however you want to. And then somehow when Jesus comes, you get to go to heaven. So you, you do all this when you're seven. Then you can live like hell for 82 years, and then you die and go to heaven. It, the Bible knows nothing of such weird language. Paul says conversion was the start line and apprehension of Christ is the finish line and the middle process is an all-out abandonment to obtain him. That's Christianity. Conversion started Christ face-to-face is the finish. Laziness, stagnation, neutrality, and status quo were not options for the Apostle Paul. Not options at all. He didn't even consider them as things to be meditated upon. It's not that I've obtained and I've not even perfected. Now, Paul is not talking about sinless perfectionism or something like this, but his imperfections are not defeatisms. Isn't it weird how we talk one way about worldly things and we talk differently about spiritual things? So people say, well, I'm not perfect. You see this thing in the church. Well, I'm not perfect. Code word, I'm not perfect, so I just gave up trying years ago. That's the way people do. Well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So I'm just going to continue living in the world and be carnal. Where do you, you don't get that from the Bible. I don't know where you get it from. You see, Paul's idea is, I'm not perfect, so I'm going to press on. I'm not perfect, so I'm going to invest more deeply. I'm not perfect, so I'm going to meditate. I'm not perfect, so I'm going to read my Bible. I'm not perfect, so I'm going to pray. I'm not perfect, so I'm going to keep worshiping and serving and glorifying Christ because I'm not perfect. This is the only thing that satisfies. This is the way one ought to think. Paul says, I press on. No, I continually press on. Why? I want to grasp something. I want to, I want to get a hold of something that's real. This word press on is used twice. It can simply mean to move rapidly and decisively towards an object, like a runner running a race, mean hasten. But in this verse, it's in reference to the mental or the heart effort. I'm going to press with my mind, with my heart, I'm going to use uh, athletic imagery, I'm going to give it 110%, whatever that is, everything I got and then some, I'm going to do that mentally in order that I can know Christ to the level he's worthy of being known to. With everything that I have. You say, I don't understand. You know, in, in this church, you've been coming to this church by the word Baptist, and, it, and they always want us to memorize Scripture, and they always want to read the Bible, and always talk about these passages, and all this stuff. What is wrong with you people? What, what is right with us? Of course this is what we're doing, because our minds are being used as gifts from God to know Christ. Of course we're memorizing Scripture. Of course we're reading a Bible. What do you expect us to read? What do you expect us to memorize? The New York Times? By the time I get one sentence memorized, I'll have it changed. 
So I'm going to use all of my mental effort not watching the goofy news. I'm not going to keep up with the statistics on Facebook. No, I'm going to use my mind as a gift from God to know Christ. That's what I'm oppressed to know. Pastor, you don't know much of anything. That's fine. I don't. I don't know a lot of things going on. I don't. But I know something about this book because this book tells me about the person I'm trying to grasp. I'm going to give my whole life here to know him. You say, you're, you're just being legalistic and holy-minded. Okay, let's stop. Let's do this a different way. Why is it we talk so different? Let's use, yeah, we'll use fishing, Right? Let's, let's talk about fishing for a minute. This is a little boy, six years old. Gets him a cane pole and a string and a cork. He goes out back and he digs in the dirt and he gets him a worm. He puts it on his little hook. He goes down this little farm tank out behind the house and he sets his cane pole out there and he watches his cork. And then it wiggles. He yanks on it. He catches him one of them little brim about this big. Boy, he's smiling from ear to ear. He's so happy, he caught him a little brim. You know what he immediately wants to do? Catch another one. Right? Anybody getting this? I can say he catches another one. He does this for a couple of times, and then one day, this crazy thing happens. One day, his cork goes under, he yanks on it, and it's a one-pound bass. The boy's runt. He goes home and says, Daddy, i got to have a new pole. Daddy, i gotta have a, I got to have a pole, man. There's fish down there. I caught this one-pound bass. So i got to have a pole. And i got to have this reel. And i got to have this line. I gotta have, and he, he catches a two-pound bass. Are you with me? He catches a two-pound bass. He says, you know what? I need more bait. And then, and then all of a sudden, he can't get his, his reel out there to that little spot. He says, Daddy, I need, I need me a little boat. I need mean, something to get out in the water a little bit farther. And he, he presses out. Hey, we can get by that log, right, that he couldn't cast to before. And he, he, found, and he says, oh, man, he catches a three-pound bass. He's like, dude, I need $80,000. I need a Ranger bass boat. And i got to have a $100,000 truck to pull it. And I'm entering a tournament. And then he mounts his first eight-pound bass, right? He's like, oh, look at this. And as soon as he gets it mounted, he goes, man, I can't wait to get a 10-pounder. And I tell you a story like that, and you go, that's cool. Why don't you memorize the Bible? Why don't you start memorizing verses? He memorized one verse, and then he memorized two. Then he memorized three. You know that guy memorized a chapter the other day? You remember David Miller when he stood in here and quoted, or sat in his wheelchair and quoted that whole chapter? You're like, God, I can't believe somebody can quote a whole chapter of the Bible. Uh, my pastor said the other day he, he memorized 162 verses to finish out the year. He's a religious fanatic. Why am I a fanatic for memorizing and meditating on the Bible, but I'm just normal if I spend all my money to catch a fish? Right? You can do it with everything. You can do it with shopping. You can do it with hunting. You can do it with everything you want to do. It. And people press, and they press, and they press. And then you've got stupid people that run and stupid people that ride bikes. I can run a mile. I can run two miles, four miles, six miles, eight miles, 20 miles on a bike, 100 miles on a bike, 200 miles on a bike. That guy's crazy. He just keeps wanting to do more. No, you say, man, that's cool. Right, look at that. Okay, what about the Bible? Paul says, press on, read, meditate, memorize. No, long after Christ, give your life for him. Oh, you're a religious fanatic. There's something wrong with us. It should be that when something like this is being said to us, yes, I want more. I want to catch one more fish. I want to memorize one more verse. I want to know one more passage. I want to understand one more truth about Christ. Oh, give me Christ lest I die. Or if you want it in a shorter form, we can give it to you from Solomon. Scarcely 
had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. Right? (laughs) I held him and I would not let him go. Solomon 3, 4. I found him. I grabbed the hold of him. I ain't letting go. This is the one has captured my heart. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. He says, I'm doing this. Why? Because I was apprehended by him. Christ apprehended me and changed my life forever. Verse 13, not only we're pressing on, but verse 13, pursuing one, pursuing one there in verse 13. I don't consider I've made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. A couple of questions on verse 13. What has he not grasped? This full unity with Christ face to face. What things in the past does he forget? Forgetting the past is what he says. So what does he forget? His works, his accomplishments, his legalistic achievements, his genealogy, his social standing, all those things that he's done religiously in the past, everything. He's forgetting all of that. I I can't do nothing with that. I can't improve it. I can't take away from it. All of that's over. Today is a brand new day. We love that verse. I hear people quote it. His mercies are new every morning. Yes, and there are new challenges every morning. There's new responsibilities every morning. He's he's like, how many times, Pastor, have you read your Bible through? I have no earthly idea. It's just what I do. I read my Bible. You say, well, you read it through last year. What are you doing January the 1st? I I didn't know. I read my Bible. It's January the 1st, Genesis 1-1, you start reading, you read your Bible, that's what you do. It's like, you go on a trip, you come home, it's late, you get up, what do you do? This thing right here buzzes at 522, at 522 you get up out of your bed, you go down, you open your Bible and you read. That's what you do because you want to attain Christ, you want to know Him and all of His glory and you can't get there with laziness. What things does He strain for in the future? Just one. Christ. Brothers. It's a compassionate note. You see it there in your text. Brothers. It's a compassionate note. He's not being mean. He's not beating somebody over the head. Brothers. A love and a concern for these Philippians as much as I would have for you here at this church. Let me remind you because of the critics that are out there that labor against once saved, always saved, and these types of things. Justification by grace alone does not produce antinomianism, like we can just live however we want to live. It does not produce that. For the man who penned more about justification by faith alone, we look at him, there is no antinomianism, laziness, indifference in him. It's a passionate pursuit of Christ. Gospel preaching should drive us to want to know Christ all the more. He said, I don't consider myself to have grasped. I do, I do not hold the view or the option that I've, I've got to hold and I'm, I've, I'm at the level that I, I can't grow anymore. I can't learn anymore. You know, there's people, they're not here anymore, there's people in this church, you know what they did? They, all these years they came to this church back in the day, back when Noah built the ark, they're coming to this church, and then their, their kids, they get to be 18, and their, their kids grow up. You know what they do? They quit teaching Sunday school. 
You, you quit teaching Sunday school. Why are you quitting? I've served my time. You served your time? Like Christianity was just for 18 years or what? I mean, what do you mean you served your time? What am I supposed to say? Like, oh, my kids have graduated now and Liddy's almost ready to graduate. I, you know what? I've served my time. See ya. And then how do you retire from Christianity? How do you quit? How do you, how do you just stop serving? How do you stop growing? There's so much more. This is just as ludicrous as a man who falls in love. He falls in love with a woman. He meets, he does everything he can. Presses and presses and presses that he might hold her hand. He presses and presses and presses that he might put his arm around her. He presses and presses and presses that, oh yeah, one day she's going to give me a kiss. And he says, okay, I got that done. I'm through. Just walks away. You don't act like that. Christ, well, I came to church and I did my deal. Now I retire? Paul, he doesn't think that way. I haven't obtained what I'm looking for here. The relationship is more. There's more to be had. Why is Paul so one-tracked? Because that which he pursues has more value than anything else in the entire universe. Is he that to you? That Christ has such value that nothing else compares to him. (laughs) Here, this is some deep theology. Are you ready? Why does the runner keep running? This is not a dad joke. It's because he hadn't finished. He hadn't finished yet. Why do you keep pursuing Christ? Because I hadn't attained him yet. Why do you keep studying? Because I don't know everything yet. Why do you keep praying? Because there's more to be had. There's there's so much more that's available. We can't stop. Just one thing, simplicity. Paul here, just one thing. I love this about Paul. It's the same like with Jesus. Paul is not busy. Paul is not confused. Paul's not juggling his life. Paul's not burning the candle at both ends. Paul's not running himself ragged trying to keep up with the world. Paul's done with the world. Paul's doing what he's doing intentionally and on purpose. I am pursuing Christ. Paul, you do a lot. You preach, you write, you pray, you're all the place, you're busy. No, I'm not. I'm pursuing Christ intentionally every day. I'm not busy. This is my life. That's what Paul would say to you. He has narrowed life down to one thing. Forgetting that which is behind. I love this. He, he does not look, and Paul does not look back to his past achievements. <laughs> like we would say, terminology like this. I taught Sunday school. I preached sermons. I think, I uh, see, I've gone to church a hundred times, and I know very jokingly we say this at Easter week, because we have church from Sunday to Sunday. We say, man, I can take off for three months now. You know, you come every night through Easter week, like, man, I get a month's vacation. He, Paul doesn't look back to a hundred times that he's preached, or that he went on three mission trips. Hey, I went on three mission trips, so I got my quota in. He's, forget all of that. Are there any mission trips this year well see there's one in march there's one in july and there's one in september i uh, see there's trips this year well i went last year i've already gone to mexico i've gone to mexico i don't know how many times i've gone to mexico it doesn't matter there might be the opportunity to go this year well i shared the gospel with people last year you might share something with somebody this year well, well, I preached over there last year. I might preach over there this year. I, I, I went to Sunday school last year. Well, 
I'm going to go to Sunday school this year. And forget all of that. Today is the day I've been given. Before me lies the future. I'm going to put my whole self in to pursuing Christ. Straining for what is in front. Exerting oneself to the uttermost. Stretch out. Strain. I know nobody in here cares about riding a bicycle, and that's fine. It's just an illustration. And I watch enough bicycle races I know, and they come down to the sprint, and it's a sprint stage. And you got all these muscle-bound guys trying to win the race, and they're all sprinting. And they're just going back and forth. They're running 1,400 watts of power, and they're just going at their maximum limit, and they're coming there. I mean, little differences like this. And right before the line, the guys that know how to do it, they sling their bike forward. Fling it like that. And sometimes they'll win by like that much. It's because they gave everything they had in a last-ditch effort, sling the handlebars forward, and maybe my tire beats them. That's the language Paul is using here as a runner, stretching out, trying to get the tape to break on my chest. Everything I can do. This is the intensity of biblical Christianity. I want Christ. That's what Paul is saying to us. There's something about the finish line that drives the athlete to strain to the max of their capability. Again, just be reminded of how weird our thinking is. If you cared about running or any type of race and you saw someone running in a race, it was 100 degrees and they're sweating like crazy and then they round that last corner and there's a quarter mile left and you see them sprint, what does everybody on the sideline do? Man, that guy's stupid. What's he doing? I mean, why is he running so hard? He's already run a bunch in his life. Why don't he just slow down and get a drink of water and an ice cream? Hello? Why don't he get a car with an air conditioner? No, when they come around the corner, everybody starts cheering and clapping. You can do it. Hurry, hurry. Split it out. Split it out. And everybody cheers. He runs through. And we're like, yeah. Why aren't we that way with Christianity? You find a man who's fully on board with pursuing Christ. Praise the Lord. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to find somebody like a David Miller. I'm going to find somebody that preaches like a John O. Sims. I'm going to find somebody, let's go back in time. I'm going to find somebody like Thomas Boston. I'm going to find somebody that never missed an opportunity to preach in the pulpit, although he suffered from chronic ailment and so did his wife, and they buried six of their ten kids. Even with all of that, he's in the pulpit every Sunday. This morning, my friend has the flu. He's standing in the pulpit preaching. My other friend has neck surgery. He's standing in the pulpit preaching. I like guys like that. I like guys that love Jesus enough to stand and preach no matter what what it costs to press on to know him. Look, he's worth it. It's worth it. There's a prize ahead, verse 14. It's the goal to get home. Glorification. What's the prize? The prize is to be an heir of all things in Christ. What's the call of God? How does it speak to this passage of Scripture? The whole of the gospel is is what speaks to this. He says, I continually press on, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is clearly in a running scenario. Prize, straining, pressing on. The first pressing on had to do more with a mental aspect. This one's certainly the physical aspect of a runner. And so here's Paul pressing with everything he has to win this prize. Now, what is this prize? It's a weird Greek word. 
an award for exceptional performance. That's not all the definition, but think about that. In your future, there's a prize that exists for exceptional performance. A prize, an award. (laughs) The award of victory of Christians. The prize that is the object of (laughs) the upward call of God. Here's the deal. This is... I think it's something like this. I know you're sick of my bicycle illustrations, but it's a running racing scenario. So it's all I got. This this stupid thing they call the hotter than hell thing out here. They do a hundred mile ride, right? Weird thing about that. Everybody that crosses the finish line gets the same medal. I mean, you could average twenty five miles an hour or two miles an hour, I suppose. But if you cross the line, they somebody stand there with a little participation medal. You can hang around your neck. Right? I mean, it's the way it is. Everybody, some guy finishes in four and a half hours, another guy finishes in 12 hours. He gets the same medal. And how fair is that? Christianity, we're not talking about fair here. Here, Here's here's who gets awarded. Those who finish. Those who finish get awarded. You cross the line. They put you in the casket. And you end this thing faithfully pursuing Christ. You get the prize. You get Christ. He, he, you, you sell out and quit along the way and get in a car and take a ride and don't finish the race, you don't get a prize. You have to finish the thing. That's the way Christianity is. The starting point is conversion. Finishing is the proof of the start line. You must finish the race. Read Pilgrim's Progress. Little faith and faithful at the same entry. You just have to have faith, right? You have to have great faith or low faith. You just got to have faith. You got to believe. And you got to believe all the way until the end in order to obtain the prize. Those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Supward call of God as he's pressing on the supward call of God unto salvation. You remember this passage in Romans. It's a dear passage to many of us. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. This is this upward calling of God. He called us. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And any preacher worth his salt says, there's, not, there's a word missing in this text, but everybody knows what the word is. Those he justified, he will glorify. In between justification and glorification, there's this word hanging there that's not in the text. And what is it? Sanctification. Everybody he justifies, he's conforming into his image and preparing them for glorification. Paul knows this, and that's what's going on in his life. He's pressing. He's trying to do this. He's trying to do that. He's serving. He's doing everything he can. And you say, what's his prize on earth? You know his prize. Just outside of Rome, they cut off his head. They cut off his head. While on the inside of Rome, they nail Peter to a cross about the same time. Both martyred. And they walk in to the gates of glory. And there stands Christ. Attained the prize. The proof of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus will be seen 
in the casket. How did it all end? A lot of people are firework Christians. They take off with bright lights. They take off fast. And they get everybody's attention. And then on the next day, you just pick them up out in the yard and throw them in the trash can because they're done. But biblical Christianity endures to the end. Here's a good epitaph. You can write this on my tombstone. I'm always giving you epitaphs. If you're keeping track, I have to write a book on top of mine. He attained Christ. What more could you ask for? What more could heaven give than than heaven's already given? What more could there be? Last verses, personal responsibility, verses 15 and 16. You look at those texts. This is a little bit more tricky to translate down here, but let me give you the sense of meaning, I hope. What is your responsibility? Verses 15 and 16, your responsibility is the same as Paul's. It ain't no different. Paul didn't have a different Christianity than we do. How are you supposed to be living? Well, you're supposed to be living like Paul and anyone else that lived like him. That's, that's the model. That's the standard. We learned it from Christ. Apostle Paul imitates that. He reflects that. He passes it on to Timothy, passes it on to the church, passes it on to Philemon. We learn these things through godly heritage and by reading our Bibles. This is the way that we ought to live. We ought to be a people who are pressing on for Christ. That's how Christians live. I don't know how Christians in Azel live, because I get really confused by a lot of confessors that are going on in Azel, but I know this is how we ought to live biblically as a people that are devoted to attaining Christ. Therefore, as many as are perfect are mature, if you will. Paul says he's not already obtained perfection. He's not finished his course. He's not in heaven with Jesus. He's not perfectly mature in that sense. But he has a mature mind. A mature mind thinks like this. What I'm preaching to you. This is how a mature mind thinks. If you're of perfection, if you're of maturity, then you think this way. If you don't want to think with a mature mind, then you have to say something like this. I would rather think like a baby. I'd rather think like an infant. I'd rather, you see, I do the thinking like immature people. Who wants to confess that? Hey, I'm just a baby, and so I'm just going to keep sucking on this bottle till Jesus comes. No, no, no. If you have a mature mind, then you think this way. It's like throughout your life, you're trying to improve on your walk with the Lord Jesus because you love Him. You love His Word. You love Him. You love His church. You love the aspect of obeying Him. And obeying Him is not a burden to you. It's a great joy to you, and you delight in Him. And you find these things to be refreshing to your soul. This is the way mature people think. We're to be thus-minded. Think this way. What way? The way Paul did about the Christian life. By the way, if you want to think about it in a church context, what would a church look like? We had a group of people, and they were all pressing on. They were all not looking to the past achievements, but were pressing towards what was ahead, straining. And they were all living to accomplish one thing. What did a church look like that that was their course? And Paul says, this is awfully audacious, yeah, Paul's saying this, and so we you know we're under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he's given us a clear truth. He's saying, if anybody thinks differently, if anybody thinks otherwise, 
Paul is bold enough here to say, if you don't think like me about the course of Christianity, you're in error. Because this is the way Christians live. This is how they think. This is what Christianity, this is what they do. This is who they are. Christians are like this on Tuesday. They're like this on Thursday afternoon. They're like this on Saturday. This, this is, it's like this is who they are. This is their identity. Paul says that's the way Christianity is. If you think otherwise, like if you want an American thing, the American thing is live like the world through the week and then act religious on Sunday and say Jesus, Holy Spirit, and amen, and you must be super spiritual. Paul says, I don't even know what you're talking about. Christianity is being apprehended by Christ and spending the rest of your life trying to apprehend Him because you love Him and find value and worth and preciousness in Him. In other words, you fall head over heels in love with Him. Does this make any sense to you? Does it make sense to fall in love with Christ? I don't know why it's got to be so hard in the church. You go outside in the world and you get person A to fall in love with person B, and it's like it takes no work at all. I don't have to tell them to call the other person. I don't have to tell them to go by and see the other person. I don't have to tell them to buy the present for another person. I don't have to tell them to invest in the other person. If they fall in love, they'll just do all of that. Okay, you're not getting it. Let's go back fishing. Let's say I love fishing, okay? This is how easy it works. Brother Jack likes to fish, and let's pretend that I love to fish. And Brother Jack says, I know where you can catch fish. Where? where? See how easy that was? I'm already interested. He says, now if you use a little crawfish, no weight, down there below Sam Rayburn, you got some lily pads, you just put that crawl dead on there, throw it out there on that lily pad and just shake it a little bit. And when it comes off that lily pad, three or four pound bass come up and grab it. Now exactly where was that? Okay, now what, what was the color? You see it? Why? Because I'm interested. Because it's what I want. You see, then you come into church, you try to preach Christ, and you're like, oh, 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 oh. Wait, I can't make you interested. I can't make you love him. All I can tell you is it's real. All I can tell you is Christ is lovely. I can tell you that you can spend time with him. I can tell you to press on that he's worth it. But Paul can bring all this before us. But if you have no interest, I can't make you drink. But if you think differently this morning, God will reveal your error to you. If a man has faith in Jesus and loves the Word of God, he loves the church of God, and he seeks to live a life that brings glory to God, and God will have a way of leading you to the truth about the things here in this text and also the truth about the things you have had wrong in the past of your life. And God will correct those as you continue to press on for Christ. We're all in a process, right? Lastly, of this text... In any case, he ends the text off with this, let us live up to the standard of truth that we have attained. I'll just be really simple. This is nothing, nothing remarkably great. What do I know? There's a few basic things I know. I know it's right to read my Bible. I, I didn't learn that at seminary. I just learned that as a Christian growing up in church, it's right to read my Bible. I know it's right to sing praises to Jesus. I know that's right. I ought to sing 
Come, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise in his presence, right? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. I know that's right. So singing and reading my Bible. I know it's right to make him known unto all the earth. That has to have something to do with the gospel, gospel tracts, verbal speech, how I live. I need to make Christ known. I know that's right. I know it's right to study my Bible. I'm not that smart. I don't have any books. I don't know how to study all that well. I do the best I can. But you know what? I'm going to show up for Sunday school because they got teachers there that studied their lesson, and maybe I can learn from them. That's the right thing to do. I think I'll do that. You know, I think it's right to pray. You know, Jesus prayed. Jesus was sovereign, knew all things, and yet he prayed. There must be something to this relationship. He prayed so much that even his closest disciples said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, and when you pray. I think praying's right. Okay, so these are just some basic Sunday school answer things. But they're right. Then I'm just going to do that with all my heart. I'm just going to do that with everything i got. I'm going to do that with more effort than riding a bicycle. I'm going to do that with more effort than running or fishing or hunting or shopping or whatever else it is, mowing my grass. I'm going to give the main focus of my attention to doing those basic things that I know are right. And whatever else that I need to learn, God will show me along the way. I'll learn it from you. And from you, from you, learn it from each other as we progress on in this thing called Christianity. I do pray for you today that you will attain your desire. You'll be perfected in glory and you'll reach your goal to be with Christ to win the prize which is Christ, and to complete what God has called you to, salvation. And lastly, and I'm done, if you have not repented and you have not believed, you've not been baptized by immersion, I don't really know what you're doing with life except wasting time. Because if Christ is not the center of your heart, everything you do on this earth is going to be destroyed and you're going to end up in hell with nothing to show for it, just a wasted life with eternal condemnation. And I invite you to turn and to look into the beauty of Christ. Fall in love with him and say, come hell or high water, I don't care what anybody in this world thinks, I am going to pursue Christ for he is worthy. Brother Tony, come and lead us in song.